Well, good morning, lifers. Happy Sunday to you. I hope you're doing well. You know, it is no secret. There is all sorts of uncertainty in our economic world. COVID has overtaken the global economy in unprecedented ways, and the impact will be felt for the rest of our lifetimes, I'm sure. Some people watching today, you got punched in the face financially right off the bat. For some, your business shut down. You lost your job or your whole industry is crippled. For others, you might be working, but you know that there's some turbulence on the horizon and you don't know what is coming down the pike, but it's gonna be big. Now, certainly our nation will feel the impact in the coming days when it comes time to pay the piper. Because most adults, not all, but most adults realize that you cannot give away a zillion dollars and shut down a large portion of the economy and pretend everything is gonna be just fine. Math is kind of like gravity. It just exists whether you believe in it or not. And math doesn't really care about one's feelings or political leanings. It's just math. <laughs> now, not to be Captain Obvious, but lots of people are anxious right now, and some of it seems justified. But that doesn't change the fact that anxiety has never helped anyone with anything at any time. It's just a form of worry, and worry is a cancer that will eat away at your soul. But I have good news. We're gonna look at some words today that will actually help us live with decreasing anxiety about the future. And if we tune in with an open ear, something wonderful will happen on the inside of us today. So imagine for a moment, for a moment, that you're with the close friends of Jesus when they come to Jesus and ask the question that is uh, recorded in Luke chapter 11. They just said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus does in a very simple but memorable way. He gives them a model prayer, which many of us have, have come to be familiar with as the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna focus in on just one single phrase today. Give us this day our daily bread. Say that with me. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you were standing in that crowd, you'd know exactly what Jesus was talking about. You would have connected the dots because Jewish history takes you back to a time when God delivered your ancestors out of Egypt. Charlton Heston was leading the way. And here's a snapshot of what happened. Uh, God's people had been protected from all 10 of the plagues that had come upon Egypt for enslaving the, his, God's people for 400 years. They'd been led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire at night, a huge pillar, big enough for a couple million plus people to see and follow. During the daytime, they were led by a cloud that everyone could see and it led them right where they needed to go. They saw the Red Sea as it parted. They walked through on dry ground, seeing walls of water piled up on both sides. And then they watched Pharaoh's murderous army be destroyed right behind them. And now they're on their way to the promised land the land that God had specifically promised to them. So they're walking through the desert, newly freed, and they're on their way. Now, after seeing all that God did, having experienced God's miraculous provision, after experiencing God's protection and deliverance from horrible slavery, you would think they'd be willing to follow God anywhere, right? I mean, they trust him with anything. How could they not? Well, as they're talking to Moses, the leader in Exodus chapter 16, take a look at what loving and transformed people they had become. Here's how it reads. 
In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. They have very short memories, it appears. Kind of like us, actually. But let's go a little bit deeper into this to see where they're going with all this. Starting in verse 3. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now look down at verse 19. Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So, if you disobey and you try to stock up on this, well, the frosted flakes became rancid flakes. And a little later on, they named these flakes and they named it manna. Now, manna literally just means it is what it is. And a more loose translation means we don't have a clue what it is, but we got to name it something. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the cafeteria meals that I would have in high school. Maybe you had some of the same things. The greenish gray mystery meat. Someone would come, what is that? I don't know, but it just is what it is. Well, the people of Israel did not know what this stuff was, but they did know one thing. It wasn't there yesterday. And God provided for their needs. Every morning, God sent this stuff, six days a week. It was enough to feed a couple million plus people every day for 40 years. 40 years. Now, I have done the math on this. This is just about a quart, tiny bit less, but it's just, let's say this is a quart. So every person got two of these every day. 40 years at 365 days is 14,600 days. So let's say there's two and a half million people there. So five million quarts a day came on the ground. That makes 1.8 billion quarts a year. So it took 72 billion quarts over 40 years to feed the Israelites. 72 billion of these filled up and God never ran out and he never forgot, not once. Friends, that's a lot of manna. <laughs> and every day it came and every day is like every day. So they probably got pretty creative on how to prepare their manna. Manna bread, manna burgers, alphabet manna for the kids, manna shaped like stone tablets, I don't know. But the point is, the people in the church, when Jesus would uh, relate this to them, they would have been very cognizant of this, these words, give us this day our daily bread. Their thoughts would have gone right back to their history and God's provision for his people. Now, at the time that Jesus was teaching this, Jewish families only had two meals a day. They would eat breakfast and they would eat dinner. Breakfast was normally just a piece of flatbread along with some cheese, maybe some dried fruit and olives. Usually the husbands and the boys would leave home in the morning and they'd go off to work and they would eat their breakfast as they went. And in those days, people were very frequently hired on a day-to-day -day basis. So when they asked God for their daily bread, they were simply asking for work and for food to survive on a daily basis. So when they hear Jesus say these words, give us this day our daily bread, they understood that Jesus was telling them to trust God and pray for everything that they would need in order to exist. And for us, taking that understanding and applying it to our lives today, 
simply means really to say something like this. I will live in daily dependence upon God for everything. He's my provider. So as we look at this prayer, this simple prayer for daily bread, we're going to look at it in terms of four contrasts as we pray. And the very first contrast is this. Prayer begins with gratitude, not grumbling. Say that with me. Prayer begins with gratitude, not grumbling. See, we are alive and sucking air, and that enough is worthy of gratitude. Thanks ought to permeate everything about how we approach God. Now, why is that? Because everything that we have comes from Him. So here the Israelites are out in the desert, and they're grumbling against God. They had seen God's powerful provision already. They'd seen Him split the Red Sea and protect them from Pharaoh and guide them with fire and with clouds, and yet they're still grumbling. Why do we so easily forget the ways in which God has taken care of us? Last week we were thanking Him for something, and this week we can't remember what it is. Now, for the most part, we don't pray that somehow, some way, we will have enough food for today. I mean, how full was your dinner plate last night? Do we often lament that we're starving and don't have enough food? Or is it more true that we often moan and mumble about eating too much? If we have anything more than our daily need, it is just an expression of God's abundant provision. We are swimming in abundance, and so often we forget it. Well, the manna was God's provision. He was giving them each day, literally, their daily bread. And right now, there is a place where people are praying for food enough for them and for their kids. They're literally asking God, give us this day our daily bread. Now, most of us here aren't praying that literally every day. But what are the situations that you're in that you need God's provision on a daily basis? Well, it's that question that sets up our next contrast. Here's the second thing. Prayer is about honesty, not nobility. Say that with me. Prayer is about honesty, not nobility. Here's what I mean by that. God truly wants to hear everything that's on your heart. Everything is a concern and an interest to Him. But sometimes we fall into this trap of not telling God everything. We try to be noble instead of honest. That's when we start to filter out the things that we really should be telling God, but we don't. We think kind of like this, ah, you know, that shouldn't matter that much to me. It's not that big of an issue. It's like we don't want to fill up cosmic airtime on stuff that we'd be ashamed to even tell other people that we're praying about. But listen, the moment you start to exclude things that are important to you from your Heavenly Father is the moment you start to create distance in your relationship with Him. You're attributing to Him a lack of interest, a lack of concern. When He loves you, and He cares about you in every part of your life. I mean, yes, He's the God of the universe. He's enthroned in the heights of heaven. He is awesome and worthy to be worshipped and respected and adored, but He is your Father. And if you fall into the nobility trap, then you're not fully participating in a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Great author C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, We are to lay before Him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So prayer is about honesty, not nobility. So what is it that you need today from your Heavenly Father? In what ways do you need to trust Him? Do you need wisdom for a decision? God will give it to you. Do you need deliverance from an addiction? God can free you. Do you need inspiration for your marriage because it's a little harder than you thought it might be? 
Do you need strength to face a temptation? Maybe you need comfort for these days of depression or loneliness because you're really struggling with something. Or maybe you're in a spiritual dry time and you need to come to God honestly and say, God, I just feel so distant. I feel so dry. I need your help to just to trust you that you're with me through this difficult time. See, daily bread is not just about food. It can be about the necessities that you have that day, whether they are physical or spiritual or relational, whatever. So what is it that you're needing to depend upon God for today or tomorrow? Just write down, just real quickly, write down one or two things that you're needing to depend upon God for, for real. Just take a moment. Like now, go get a pen, write it down. I'm not kidding. Don't just sit there like I can't see you. Go, get a pen, jot it down. I'll give you just a second. All right, jot down one or two things that you are needing to depend on God for today or tomorrow. Okay, now let's look at the the next contrast. Here's the third thing. Prayer requires submission, not stubbornness. Say that with me. Prayer requires submission, not stubbornness. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about God's kingdom. You probably remember that. God, your will be done, not mine. And Jesus modeled this for us. You remember when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was facing this unbelievably agonizing time ahead of him. He knew physically the kind of death that he was about to face was just horrifying. Beyond that, he would feel the shame and the guilt of carrying all your sin, my sin, being separated from his heavenly father. Jesus was facing all of this, and yet he submitted himself to his Father's will. Remember what he said? Father, if at all possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes we get this so backwards. We end up praying as though God should be a fully devoted follower of ours. Like he should be following us around with his little notepad as we bark out requests for him. And if he doesn't, follow up the way that we think he does, that we ought to. We start saying, God, why won't you answer my prayer? Why don't you answer my prayer? Well, that's stubbornness. That's not submission. We're to be fully devoted followers of his, saying, your kingdom come, not mine. And I realize, Lord, that I tend to opt for my wants first, but I'm asking you to help me with this. I want to put your kingdom first in my life, in my character, in my family, in my work, in all of it. Now, when we've submitted our will to him, then we can rest in his power to meet our needs. But when I'm not submitting my will to him, then I have no internal confidence that I'm even praying in the right direction. So, prayer requires gratitude, not grumbling. It's about honesty, not nobility. And prayer requires submission, not stubbornness. And then fourth, the last contrast. Prayer is about letting go, not hanging on. Say that with me. Prayer is about letting go, not hanging on. It is amazing to me the way that we try to maintain control and hang on, even when it's obvious that God is just trying to pry our hands off of a situation. We are so controlling. Even when everything is crumbling around us, we want to maintain the illusion of being in control, being respectable, above it all. In one of the great, great scenes from Seinfeld, Through a bizarre set of circumstances, Elaine and Jerry find themselves in the crowd at an illegal cockfight. And they're just talking there like everything is normal. And uh, Elaine's talking about getting married and Jerry asks her, 
are, are you sure you want to do that? And Elaine says, Jerry, it's 3 a.m. and I'm at a cockfight. What am I hanging on to? <laughs> what are you hanging on to? Think about that. What are you hanging on to? Lots of times, prayer is about letting go of control. For some of us, that can be really, really hard to do. We're kind of like the Israelites who tried to save a bunch of the manna for the next day because we resist trusting God fully. We'd rather depend on ourselves and we think stuff like this. I need a bit more security than somebody's word saying everything's going to be okay. I'd rather have tomorrow's provisions in my hand today if it's all the same to you. Well, what happened to the, to the stored manna? It spoiled and stunk up the place, didn't it? Well, that's exactly what will happen to us if we clench our fist and we say, I can't live like that. I can't. I need more security. I'll never let myself get to that point of trust. And here's the deal. Some people think like this. They think, really, my stuff is going to spoil if I like security more than trust? Really? For real? Well, no, silly. Of course not. Your stuff won't stink. But you will. <laughs> We underestimate just how important trust is to our Heavenly Father. He wants you to trust Him. He wants me to trust Him. Now, if you have more than enough, maybe God is challenging you to give more. Maybe not just a little comfortable about more. Maybe to really step out in faith and get to the place where it's uncomfortable. You don't have to worry. You just have to let go and trust. Great author Dallas Willard said, Today I have God, and He has the provisions. Tomorrow will be the same. So, have you been struggling with worry, and you feel like it's kind of become part of you? If that's the case, then I want to encourage you to ask God daily for the power to let go of control. As we get so caught up in the kind of thinking that says, it's all on me. I've got to make all this happen. But when we're praying, it's actually praying to become more like a child who's absolutely dependent upon his father for everything and letting go. You know, sometimes it's quite literally bread that we're praying for and God does provide. A guy by the name of George Mueller was in charge of a home that cared for orphaned children a long time ago and it was during a very horrible economic time. He depended on God for everything to keep that whole thing going. And hundreds and hundreds of kids went through that home and were placed with families. And it's still there today, over 100 years later. But one morning, Mueller was there with the children and there was no food at all. And the kids were all there sitting at their tables with their plates and their cups, no food. And Mueller just led the kids in a prayer. He said, Dear Father, we thank you for the food that you're going to give us to eat today. That's faith. And as soon as he said amen to that prayer, there was a knock on the door. And when they opened it up, it was a bakery employee who said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I just felt like you and the kids needed breakfast this morning. So I got up at two o'clock in the morning and I baked bread for all of you. Here it is. Amazing, right? Well, George probably felt pretty foolish sitting there holding his plate, thanking God for food that was not there. I'm, Honestly, I'm not sure that I'm childlike and spiritually mature enough to do that. I hope that I am, and I hope that you are too. I hope and pray that we're not so savvy that we never experience what it's like to live by trust in God like that. Because something slowly dies 
when we make sure we are never, ever in that position. But the reverse is even more true, because when we walk that road of trust, allowing ourselves to go out on a limb as God directs, well, something happens. When He comes through, it ignites our faith like nothing else does. Give us this day our daily bread. He is our provider. He's our real provider. Today, I have God, and He has all the provision. Tomorrow will be the same. Don't ever forget that. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you as a great, great, great and wonderful provider. And we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you'd help us to set our mind on trusting you as our provider. We know that you can do this, Lord, and we believe that you will because you're a good and loving God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to know that I love you, and we pray for you regularly. And until we see each other again, until next time we meet, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. See you soon. Have a great Sunday.